Pod. 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 Welcome back to Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. The national championship game was a month ago. <laughs> it's a little bit a year ago. Does it feel like it? <laughs> God. I uh, I can see Danny. Um, I I can't tell though. Have you styled the back of your hair yet? In tribute to Washington's new defensive coordinator, um, I don't. I I can't. I can't quite tell. Are you going to lead? Are you and your Are you and your ticket holders uh, going to form the the Belichick fan section that rocks the mullet uh, in uh, in concert with Washington's new DC? Absolutely not. And as someone who grew up in what I describe as the feral half of Oregon in Eastern Oregon, his haircut is very much out of the 1989 Mazama High School yearbook that I have from Klamath Falls. Um, it is whether you want to call it an ironic mullet or whatever it is, it is it is very much circa 1989 Klamath Falls uh, haircut and. I don't care for it. I have not. I don't think I've reacted publicly in any way. I, I think I placed, maybe posted a GIF of of Belichick, of Steve Belichick doing the little snake tongue thing that he's been caught on the cameras doing. But uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not super pleased about. I'm not super pleased about this direction. Uh, nor 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 what I can look forward to now. Why is that? I don't like the Patriots culture. Like I re I really don't like the Patriots culture. And I, I, I want to make it clear that that is probably the basis for most of my feelings about the hire of Steve Belichick and to, to a lesser extent, the other assistant coach who's I think is going to be in charge of safeties. I don't know, Steve. Um, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever even heard him interviewed. I've certainly never talked to him. And he, by, it's very possible he is an entirely different person from his father and he will be someone very, very different as a, as an assistant coach at the University of Washington. What the culture he comes from of the New England Patriots is there is a ruthlessness to it and an edge to it that I just, I don't enjoy. Um, and this may all turn out to be if they win, it'll be fine, and I don't care. But yeah, I'm 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 not I'm not pumped about about this direction of all the different influences that have that have been on Jed Fish. And I had someone who who knows him tell me, but like, hey, the the time he spent with the Patriots left a fairly big impression. Like he's 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 definitely uh, really. Uh, he thought, and and it made an impression on him. His time working there, and it's been a really successful program. So maybe that that is going to work. But I don't, I don't care for it. See, when you said when you talk about ruthlessness and edge, I mean, aren't you just describing college football? Isn't that isn't that where it's at now? And I, I feel like most fans would hear that. Most Husky fans would hear that and say, "Great, right? Mm-hmm. This is transfer portal and NIL. Everybody's on a one year." contract all the time now like every, everything's temporary and coaches come and go like isn't it a isn't it a ruthless sport um to begin with and it's been really effective in new england right they won a ton. 
They won at a rate that has not been experienced in the NFL. I mean, you can make the argument forever, but certainly in the salary cap era. It's just, and there's a lot of people that will feel, and with good reason, that, hey, sign me up. For, if that's if that's what you're getting, is that, that level of consistency and success, sign me up for that. Um, New England's, New England's approach. And I think that this translates down its own roster as well as across the league is a level of sort of the, the desire to squeeze every ounce of, of of advantage you can out of any situation and it's using fear and it's using it's 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 not particularly concerned about the toll that that takes on the people under and around you and of the people that i know that have played in new england of the people in the league who worked around people in new england i've just found it to be a generally unpleasant like, I don't know if Bill Belichick really enjoyed what he did. And there's a certain amount of me that when I watch watch football, I don't really like that. Bill Parcells was a little bit the same way. Where you're like, why are you doing something that appears to give you no joy? <laughs> like, like you you kind of seem like perpetually miserable. And again, that doesn't mean that Steve Belichick approaches things this way. But all in all, the direction that I've seen that the university of Washington is walking in is not something I'm super excited about the 33rd NFL team, the gateway to the NFL, the, the hiring of, of Patriots assistants. I, I don't know, man, like, and I'm just trying to be honest about it because I realize I'm the turd in the punch bowl right now. <laughs> that seems to be your role lately. I guess like I'm the turd in the punch bowl and, but (laughs) man, it's how I feel because (laughs) you're right. That's a huge, all of the things that I've said, like that's a huge marketing edge of be able to pitch to people. Like we're going to get you ready for the NFL. Like that could be a really effective approach for a college football program. (laughs) But my reaction is like, is this going to be the ruthless cost cutting that we saw in new England? Cause they, they just, it didn't seem like it was a lot of fun to 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 play there and people around the league didn't really like them that much i don't know i think that those concerns don't don't you think those concerns would be more valid if if you hired a patriots assistant as head coach yes i mean he's coming in as defensive coordinator to assimilate into jed fish's program's culture and well, Jed Fish also has an extensive NFL background, obviously. Um, he strikes me more as a college coach in terms of personality. Um, mm-hmm. I think he will want his program to resemble an NFL organization and operation in just about every way. Um, they, you know, these guys still go to class and are students. And so there does need to be an individual development and betterment portion of, of the program. And I'm sure there will be, but um, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't get the sense that Jed fish is trying to foster like a new England Patriots type of culture at the university of Washington, maybe in, in some ways, I mean, in some ways, Danny, like every college head coach does in some ways, Kalen DeBoer did where 
if you aren't good enough to play here, we're going to tell you and you should probably leave. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, year to year, we will try to upgrade every position. If there's someone we can bring in through the transfer portal who's going to play better and give us a chance to win more games, we're going to do it, whether you're an awesome, great guy or not. Um, so I, I think that the sport uh, generally has gotten pretty cutthroat in a way. What what there won't be is a um, any sort of uh, any sort of of reduction in expense in pursuing uh, all of those things. If anything, it needs to go the other way. But um, I from uh, you because you pay a lot closer attention to the NFL than I do. I mean, just from like a defensive concept perspective like i feel like new england has always kind of had been this mystery in terms of like steve belichick was the play caller the last four years but i know there was always some like that they were always getting asked questions about it and what's the Mm -hmm. process really like and they didn't actually have a defensive coordinator for a number Mm -hmm. of years and it's kind of generally understood that it's bill belichick's defense but what is bill belichick's defense it's pretty fluid they i've read some stories about how often they change personnel groupings and move guys around and it's like a basically a four two five um what what is, what has kind of been your perception of the the bill belichick uh defensive evolution in new england from your time watching the league he is more willing than any other coach that i've ever seen to game plan for opponents as opposed to having uh this is our system and this is what we do if if you took and this is reducing both of them a little bit to a caricature. Pete Carroll's style of defense is the ultimate in we do what we do and stick to those principles. And the reason I stick to those principles is because I want guys to play fast and free, to not spend time thinking to react. And I know everything there is to know about this defense, so I'll be able to adjust the defense given how the opponent is attacking it. Bill Belichick's style, on the other hand, and this would be more kind of toward the New England portion of his career, has been, I am going to take my pieces and I am going to arrange them in a way that is specifically designed to take away what our opponent wants to do. That there's much less continuity in in terms of basic scheme. He's he's much more willing to to be flexible. And what you said about the uncertainty about who exactly is doing what on the defense is one of the things that has been complicated when it comes to his assistants succeeding elsewhere, which has not really generally happened. And guys have, to to various extents, been certainly uh, had some success elsewhere. But for, for the most part, nobody's been able to when you hire a guy from New England, it's not like you've gotten sort of the the secret sauce from it. Usually you get somebody trying to act like Bill Belichick without the ability to do the sort of things Bill Belichick does. I have no idea about Steve's specific acumen or his ability or even how much of the defense he's called. Jed Fish is a pretty smart guy. No, Jed Fish is an exceptionally smart guy who is very much a self-made football coach. Like he's, he's done this and, and deserves a ton of credit for that. And if he's going out and hiring specifically Steve Belichick, it is certainly because there is something that he knows he's not hiring him because of Bill Belichick's reputation. He's hiring him because he specifically believes in, in, in the way Steve sees the game and, and what he's going to be able to do as Washington's defensive coordinator. I don't know if he's going to be recruiting though with the mullet 
I'm not sure. That's been a little harder for me to envision, Christian, is is Steve Belichick showing up to recruit a kid. You could uh you could pull some O linemen with that look, no <laughs> doubt. And that's that's one of the things of it may resonate with kids. Like ser- seriously, I, I I have no idea. I'm almost 50 years old. Like, what do I know? I I just know that my reaction in seeing him over the past few years was a little bit of like, I can't believe he shows up to work with that haircut. <laughs> it's funny because like I remember the sideline shots of him, you know, making the faces and all that, and he's got the mullet, and you kind of expect him to have this, you know, he's he's the famous dad's kid personality. But then you watch, like I've watched some of his interviews, he is, in terms of the, his manner of speech um, and and the way that he answers questions, he is a carbon copy of Bill. Mm-hmm. Like he does not, at least in a media setting, does not exude the the personality that you might stereotype to match uh, the, the look and the faces on the sideline and kind of the way that Twitter jokes about him. He very much seems cut from the serious all about ball football x's and o's doesn't care for all the peripheral stuff doesn't care to answer a bunch of media questions in detail just wants to just wants to watch film and scheme plays up and call a defense that's to me that's the that's the personality he projects just watching some of his interviews and ultimately that personality that you project doesn't really matter when you're a coordinator it it on it like that may or may not be how he relates to players. And if it is the way he relates to players, that may or may not be effective. It's not not to say like, hey, you're not going to be able to. Like, it, it, all types of coaches can be successful. Um, I think it's harder when you're a head coach to take that approach. And that's part of what makes what Bill Belichick did in New England so incredible because he basically did nothing to endear himself to the people whose opinions would would shape how he was characterized. He won so much that he was able to be miserable and on the outset uncooperative with the media because you just couldn't question what he was doing. Um, it's less the stakes are lower for a defensive coordinator. It doesn't, um, but it is, it's, it's an interesting choice in that way. Um, I, I have wondered, maybe maybe Steve's opportunity here is that he just gets to call defense. Like that's that's what he worries about. And 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 Jed Fish is certainly what we've seen from the results he's had as a recruiter is is very much that he'll he'll get the talent and he'll pitch the talent and you're gonna come and play for a guy that has experience calling an NFL defense and and you'll be able to be put into position to succeed and that that could that could wind up being incredibly effective. One of the things that I liked or really enjoyed watching the most was how excitable uh William Inge was on the sidelines. Like I remember in the USC game where he's kind of slapping Caleb Williams' helmet in congratulations for how like he was encouraging to opposing players and there was kind of this upbeat I don't see that being the MO for for Steve Belichick. Like I don't, I don't see that being part of, of how, of how he, he views the game. But again, if, if the results, the results are what are ultimately going to matter, it certainly could work no matter how much of a turd in the punch bowl I want to sound like. Are you, are you excited from a, just from a pure football 
perspective. Throw throw away all the culture stuff, Danny. We don't care about culture here at Say Who's Say Pod. We think culture is overrated. Yeah, am I interested? Yes, I'm. I'm fascinated by how this is going to turn out. Like, I, I, absolutely, yes, I do want to see. I, I'm fascinated to see what Steve Belichick is like without his dad. It, it's wild to think that you're going to have the son of Pete Carroll and the son of Bill Belichick as the coordinators for the team. I, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, that's going to be this huge legacy. I don't know how it's going to turn out. It's really fascinating to see how it's all being put together. So, yeah, I'm really interested. I just, man, that the the whole, and this, it probably reflects my own experience covering the NFL of how I feel about the culture that was perpetrated in New England, that that's probably just casting a shadow because, yeah, I'm definitely interested. If you've got a defensive coordinator who is not beholden to a specific scheme where it comes in and says, we're going to be a 3-4 defense that runs these sort of things, I think the one thing that you can say that New England consistently did is played man-to-man coverage. <laughs> like that's that's basically that's basically the one the one tenant. And I would I would be very surprised if you came into if if when Steve Belichick gets here that you see uh, a st- zone become the standard coverage in their secondary. I think that you'll see them play a fair bit of man-to-man. But all the other stuff, I I, I don't know if you can project exactly what what it's going to look like. So that was Jed Fish's big thing. Uh, he met with us, uh, a few reporters in a small group after his introductory press conference, as they usually do with a new head coach, and uh, was asked about his preferred defensive scheme. Of course, this was long before he actually hired a, a defensive coordinator, and he said uh, the most important thing is you need to be able to play man-to-man coverage, and he cited Bill Belichick specifically, saying that he thought what set Bill Belichick apart in all of his years coaching and and why uh, his defenses were consistently better than everybody else uh, was their ability to play man-to-man coverage and therefore dedicate an extra defender to the box up front against the run, uh, rushing the pass or whatever it might be. So you're absolutely right about that. I think um, I don't think he would have hired somebody who didn't share that philosophy. And look, uh, he hired someone with the same last name as the, the, the very guy he referenced whose defenses he, he wanted to style his own after. So... That'll be, um, it, you know, I, I think the previous staff wanted to play a lot more man-to-man coverage than they had been in prior mm-hmm. years. You heard that Alex Cook uh, did a really good job articulating that, I thought, in the, in the 2022 season when they ran into some issues in their past defense. Um, I think it was an adjustment to begin with for some guys who played a lot of football. They had some injuries. They're relying on guys who haven't played much, and they're kind of learning how to play man coverage for the first time. And, you know, I thought players were pretty honest that, like, yeah, that was an adjustment, not that they'd never played man coverage before, but they were being asked to do it a lot more than they had been. So um, I think that that is a, I don't want to say seamless because we don't know what this game looks like, but it, you know, knowing that man to man coverage is going to be a staple of whatever they do defensively. I think that seems like a pretty, um, a pretty natural progression from what the previous defensive staff wanted to do. How much pressure does that put on your corners in college football? Cause it's one thing in the NFL. Um, where you generally have a higher quality of corner. That's just how it, how it trickles up. It strikes me. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying this plan is wrong because I think, I think if it's not clear right now, I think Jed fish is super smart. I, I think he's super smart, even by the category of football coaches who I generally consider to be exceptionally smart people. Um, in college football, 
because of the proliferation of the spread offenses, you see and have seen teams really are searching for one matchup that they can then exploit and go back to. And one of the things about zone defenses is that it can allow you to, the the term is hide a guy, but that's not really right. You can keep your opponent from fixating on a specific matchup and saying, here's my Huckleberry that I'm going to go after every, we talked about this before the the Sugar Bowl game. Like that's, that's exactly what Steve Sarkeesian does. he, He finds a matchup that he wants. And then he's like, how many times can I get this matchup that I want these two players? And so I can have my quarterback go to it. It strikes me that that approach is going to put a lot of pressure on your secondary players in general and your corners specifically. Yeah, a ton. Um, that's why it's a good thing they went and got Ephesians Prysock out of the uh, transfer portal. That's a big, long corner with some experience. Was a big-time recruit. They've got Elijah Jackson back. I think corner is going to end up being a strength. Obviously, they lost Jabbar Muhammad. Um, and it's look, I, Jabbar Muhammad Who? is... <laughs> Jabari Muhammad was great. Um, awesome pickup for them. Yeah, he's, he's the fellow from Oklahoma State. Uh, I remember him. He had an awesome season. <laughs> uh, he was obviously like one of their most important players. Huge pickup. But it's not like he never got beat, right? Because when you play man coverage, even when you're, the number one, when you're the number one corner, you're going to get beat sometimes. Like that's just that's that's the game. So um, I th- I think they've. I don't want to. I don't want to say with certainty they've upgraded that position but i think it's quite possible when you consider who they already have on the roster young guys like caleb presley and leroy bryant and um curly reed who who haven't played yet and some of the transfers they brought in like like price Sock and uh jordan shaw i believe from indiana the transfer who was going to go to arizona so i think um i think they're fairly set there still could use uh still could use some offensive and defensive linemen that's uh that's still a need jalen clem Cross another one off uh, the red shirt sophomore who transferred in from Kansas state ahead of the 2023 season. He's off to Arizona state, which was a little bit surprising to see. It's are they behind the eight ball? How would you describe their situation on the front lines and maybe even specifically at offensive line? Because part of this is when their coaching change happened, the transfer window for most programs was shut the transfer opportunities that they had were from other other schools that changed head coaches, right? So they're going to have another spring window. How how desperate are they going to... I hate to say this, like they're going to need some bodies, which is the crass NFL way of... Put, actually, I remember one, one time... When Bob, That's the Patriot way right there. When Bob Condona said to me, Carol, he said, are you going to need some more bodies? (laughs) I think he was talking about linebacker and Pete just looked at him and goes, well, that's kind of a grim way to put it. (laughs) Yeah, heck yeah, yeah, we're going to need big bodies, small bodies. It strikes me that the Washington Huskies are going to need some more bodies up front. (laughs) (laughs) They may, they may, uh, yeah, I mean, I, are they behind the eight ball? Yes, because they only have 11 scholarship offensive linemen committed for the season right now, and it's it's February. They're, I assume that's what they're going to go into spring ball with, unless there's like some major surprises. Um, the The fact is, I don't know. Uh, there seems to be a confidence 
that they will get what they need in the spring portal window. Um, and just full disclosure, Jetfish speaks at noon today. We're recording this in the AM for logistical purposes. So I'm sure he'll he'll be asked and 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 talk about this, at least to talk about the roster um in a general sense. Uh it's it might come down to how many guys post spring will enter the portal specifically because they see an opportunity to play at Washington. Um yep. how many players from either non-power four schools or power four schools that are, are maybe in the oh, bottom God. tier of that power four. No, just get used to it. It's just four. <laughs> it's just four now. You got, you got to live with it. It's the, the numbers. Are the numbers. It, it's the first time I've heard it. It's <laughs> really? the first time I've heard it. Christian. Yeah. Power four. Would you prefer power five minus one? <laughs> no. <laughs> power two squared. What's well, going to be funny to see how long it is power four because it's really it's really the power. T- yeah, two. not not very long. Yeah. I mean, it's really the power two. like you. You went from having what I considered to be like two tiers to now there are three tiers Um, and there's the SEC and the Big Ten. And then there's the the Big 12 and the ACC. And we'll see how long it is before another conference kind of moves up into that or one of those slides down. And then there's what was typically called, what, G5 after that? Yeah. Now it's G5 plus. (laughs) Plus Tupac. (laughs) (laughs) What a mess. I didn't mean to derail you. So you have offensive linemen from the other power four schools or from the G five plus one schools who would see a path to playing time or an opportunity to, to get on the field right away at what is, I mean, Washington is going to be one of the, of, of all the, there's probably not a direct, a more direct path to playing time at a bigger program on the offensive line than Washington right now. Yeah, so either they see that opportunity or um, that opportunity is brought to their attention through some manner of intermediary. Who's to say? Who's to say how their interest in Washington comes about? But I'm just saying, like, um, were I a Washington coach who's feeling relatively bullish on our program's ability to add experienced um, starter caliber, can hold their own in the Big Ten type of offensive linemen, that's the path to it. It's I don't think it's just as simple as, well, the spring portal window will open and we'll just see what's available. And out of all the linemen who go in the portal, surely there will be two or three or four mm-hmm. uh, who are good enough to play and win b- games in the Big Ten at the University of Washington. I think um, I don't know. I just it strikes me that like there there has to be some sort of plan there. Right. So and it's the same on the on the defensive side of the ball. But again, it's going to be fascinating. Like those are the two positions I would assume that are the least plentiful in the portal, because those are the two positions in football where it's understood that, like, you're not going to play right away. And so I think you're a lot less likely to have freshmen, redshirt freshmen, offensive and defensive linemen, more so offensive linemen. You, you can play early as a D lineman if you're there. Uh, physically, um, maybe you see that more often, but um, I think O linemen generally understand like it's going to take a couple of years to develop, and if you jump programs, you you essentially end up restarting that process. So, um, 
we'll see. Yeah, I mean that's that's the most glaring need. I do. I'm I'm at a point where I'm starting to get some comments on stories from people saying, "Hey, you know what? Like outside of the offensive and defensive line, like am I nuts for thinking this roster doesn't look all that bad?" And I I kind of think it doesn't. Like I think you've checked the box at running back. I think uh, they still need another impact receiver, but like keeping Jeremiah Hunter around mm-hmm. was huge. You've got your starting quarterback. Um, you've got, I think they're looking pretty healthy at linebacker between Tupatala Bruner and, and uh, Brian Parham, the transfer from San Jose State. And you've got some young guys like Devin Bryant and Jordan Whitney behind them. We talked about corner. There's still a need at safety, I think, but there are some guys who've played a little bit there. Mikel Esteen and um, obviously Cam Fabiculon, and that's a big piece. Do they keep him back at safety? Do they like him at nickel? Um, we'll see, but I, I would imagine obviously he'll play a, a huge role for them. Um, Tristan Dunn has come along. Is he somebody they feel like they can trust this year? Uh, Ed Rusher, it's interesting. You got Durfee, you've got Void Tunufi, um, you've got Jacob Lane, who played uh, as a true freshman. You've got Lance Holtzclaw back. They added Russell Davis, the second from Arizona. There's another Arizona edge rusher, I believe, in the portal. Um, we'll see where he ends up. Bryce Butler, a D tackle, even Juco D tackle, who is headed to Arizona, committed to Washington. So you can start to see how it it is not nearly as dire of a situation. There's like 10 or 11 scholarships to play with right now. And, and look, you're gonna they're gonna go through spring practice, and there are gonna be some guys, even with the limited bodies they have, bodies the limited bodies they have available, who are gonna see their role in spring practice as oh, I'm I'm not gonna play for this team, or I'm not gonna start for this team, and I really want to start, or I'm a junior and I thought I'd be further along, or this is a new coaching staff and we're just not jiving. I better go in the portal and find somewhere else. So you know there's going to be more attrition. Um, during and after spring practice, there always is. There is with uh, the the very healthiest programs. So um, still a lot to still a lot to sort out. But it, it does kind of look like the you know if they can get some offensive linemen, they're not rolling into the Big Ten with this like depleted group. At least from from what I see right here on on February seventh. The biggest decision was Will Rogers. I don't think there's any question about that. That to have a situation where you end up with the the starting quarterback who was projected before the coaching change is is a pretty that's unexpected i i i would evaluate that i i really thought when will rogers went back into the portal that he was gone that there was in in the in the same sense when you said to me about bj green there's no reason to think that he's coming here after the coaching change that's that's how i felt about about will rogers and and not even in a negative or hostile sort of way was like hey i totally get it man that guy made a decision based on transferring to play for the coach who michael Penix had transferred to play for and and then i would say the second biggest one is jonah coleman um both in in terms of the importance of the position, but the style of player. Um, I think that he, there are players who reflect the way their coach wants to play. And I think that having watched Arizona last season, I think, I think Jonah Coleman is one of those, is one of those guys. Like I do think that he was someone clearly the, the receiver Totora McMillan is, the most, I, don't, I hate to say like most talented. 
he's the most obvious NFL potential star that that Jed Fish recruited there. Yes. But but Jonah Coleman is someone who that style of play that he has, I think he reflects the way that that Jed Fish wants wants his team to play. I think that that was if I had to evaluate the two biggest things that happened after the the coaching change, it was the fact that Will Rogers is staying and the fact that Jonah Coleman is coming. What do you think generally about this promoting Washington as the 33rd NFL team and and obviously trying to um to bring Jed Fish's NFL influence over and leaning so hard into that because this is it's kind of what Jimmy Lake did. Yes. Um you know Jimmy Lake wanted the program to be about pro development and yep. they hyped up like crazy the players they're putting in the NFL and the draft and the Washington the NFL pipeline. He clearly wanted an offensive coordinator with some type of NFL experience. <laughs> I and and listen, to a fault to a fault, I think leaned on his NFL contacts for a recommendation for that job, at least when when Kellen Moore ultimately said no. Mm-hmm. So it's been tried before. Does it feel like there's a little bit more positive juice and and proof of of concept behind it this time? Yes, it does. I don't hate that idea. Um, I generally, and this is from my fan perspective, I like college football more than the NFL because of the the things about college football, the pageantry. But that has absolutely zero to do with how you build a college football program in a contemporary environment. It just does. There's nothing. Um, the tradition and those sort of things are are not what attract 17, 18, 19 and 20 year olds to play and it's not. So, yes, I do I think that Jed Fish and his ability to 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 really he he's believable when he says that, especially from an offensive standpoint. Because you look at what he did in Arizona, Noah Fafita was not the the same caliber of recruit as McMillan, but I would say that Noah Fafita and I don't know how he'll end up being seen when he comes comes into the NFL, but I certainly think he is a viable NFL potential quarterback. And I'm not sure if he was seen as that when when the recruiting happened. Um, McMillan certainly was. McMillan was a, a, a top fifty pick. The problem. Jimmy Lake could do that with the secondary. Um, he could he could say like we get and the the number of of pro corners that they landed not not even just the the top end guys but guys like Miles Bryant who's still been playing in the league like they they got guys ready to play in the NFL. It was the offensive part of it that was just like the words did not re- like measure up to what you saw on the field because you could say that all you want and you've got to be able to do it. And and I do I do think that Jed Fish is believable when when he says that. And that's not just based on his NFL experience. It's based upon what he built in a really short time at, at Arizona and 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 the guys that I know that played for him in the NFL. You mentioned Miles Bryant. Uh, I was noticing yesterday he played 852 snaps for the Patriots this year. Dude, I love Miles Bryant's one of my favorite Huskies. Fourth things. most on their defense. Yeah, Miles. He is one of my one of my absolute favorites. And and I do remember when he came out. Um, I he was undrafted, 
but I know that my initial like reaction was that's a dude that's going to play in the NFL for five to eight years. Just, he's going to be your special team stud. He's going to be able to play a variety of positions. And he absolutely has. Um, I, I love Miles Bryan as a player. And look, that's he played in New England with Steve Belichick. So I I do think saying like the 33rd team or the the pathway to the pros, I think that's a really effective development pitch. Um, and, and something, certainly that's the reason where Will Rogers is there. Like that's that that's the only reason that will 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 Rogers stuck by it is because he thinks going to Washington and starting for Jed Fish when compared to all of the other options he has currently gives him the best chance of of both the skills development and the and the platform the exposure to have a pro career that that's why he's there. We were discussing um, shortly after Jed Fish was hired about how important and I guess impressive it was that he won over Teddy Bruschi after being hired as Arizona's head coach. Yeah. And I was reading a story um, from after, I think it was shortly after he took the job at Arizona and he's Jed fish basically had said that he went in and informed Bill Belichick that he had taken the Arizona job and, and Belichick told him, Oh, like great. Congratulations here. Uh, let's call Teddy Bruschi and let's call Gronk and made that introduction for him. Basically like, Hey, I'm, I'm Bill Belichick and I'm vouching that this guy's legit and you know, you should, you should support him and you know, whatever, whatever the discussion was. Um, I thought that was an interesting little nugget that, uh, you know, Bell that, that he kind of had the foresight to know like, okay, you know, I know how college programs operate and that alumni can be, you know, kind of territorial about who's who's taken up the mantle and carrying the torch for their program. And I know these guys personally. So let me make sure I make that connection for you. So you start off on the right foot with some guys who you're going to need in your corner. The so Teddy Bruschi is and he was part of the desert swarm defense because he was in school when I was in school. Um, like I remember him being a big part of that, of that Arizona defense. I think he was a third round pick. And then he, he, God, he had health challenges when he was, when he was with the Patriots, but became this huge leader. As someone described it to me, they said that Teddy is a super important in terms of the, the university of Arizona alumni. Like he still, he still plays a, a pretty significant factor. Like he's someone that's involved in that community and that he's not the easiest person to please when it comes to university of Arizona football. And and the description I got was that he really liked the things that Jed Fish had done. And this was immediately qualified. I'm not sure how Teddy might feel right now because he'd taken the UW job. <laughs> but but I I did think that that's 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 an important it's an important data point, if nothing else, because Jed Fish was not welcomed when he was hired. I I I meant to look, I know that there were a group of relatively recent former players who felt that when fish was hired that they completely discarded that administration completely disregarded all of the things that these players had told them and i i kind of sense maybe it was tied to a lot of those guys thought antonio pierce should maybe get the job but that i don't know that like that's just my reading between the lines and i think pierce at that point was at arizona state um i think there was support too for brent brennan who interviewed for the job back then um it was thought to be a pretty strong candidate for it and obviously has the job now. So I, 
yeah, there was, I, I remember that being a thing that like, there were a lot of alumni who, you know, I, I think that, um, I think that emotions were particularly raw because they were so horrible. I mean, they were zero and seven and they just lost 70 to seven to Arizona state. And so I think it wasn't just any coaching change. It was like, Hey, the last guy was derelict in his duties basically. And just did nothing to coach this team or recruit didn't just didn't seem to try that hard. And we've told you what we wanted and this guy doesn't fit that profile. So I, I think that that sort of led to, but he, you know, he seemed to take it head on. I don't, there he was, um, there he, was he, no he, entitlement of like, well, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to, this is my program and I don't care what you think. It was very much the opposite of that. He did exactly what Pete Carroll did at USC. Cause when Pete was hired at USC, it, his, his hiring, he was seen and characterized as the third or fourth choice. Like there were people were mad about it. And, Fish took it on is exactly the same way Pete did, which is it's my job to change those people's minds. It's it's my job to be able to uh, accept what they're having to say and show them that they can be part and we can make a solution to this and we can all do it, which is honestly the only way you can greet the only way to effectively sort of combat that situation is to thank the, the person for their opinion and to say that you're going to do your damnedest to try and be everything they want in in a, in a head coach for that program without getting any resentment and fine well I'll you're a hater then like and and he did it like he clearly did it so for all of my poo-pooing and whining uh it's very clear that he did not walk he was not handed anything in that Arizona job in fact like if you look at the con- the the continuity of that head coach so it went from from the Stoops brother Right. Who I always thought of as the try hard, angry stoops. Like he just gets so mad, just gets so mad. He was the one that was just so, so angry. And then they went to Rich Rod. <laughs> he won some games. He won some games. He, he ran into some difficulties off the field. Who maybe was not the most stand up uh, husband man while he was on campus there. And then you went to Kevin Sumlin and with both Richrod and Sumlin, those were guys who were seen as home run top of the food chain hires when Richrod went to Michigan and when Sumlin went to Texas A&M and then they ended up going to Arizona. And in Richrod's case, it, it wasn't just the football that came on. I don't think I'm not sure he would have got fired when he did. If it was just football, there was more to it than that. But Sumlin was absolutely 100% football. Like that was just, he did not appear to, to try at all. And, and that's what fish walked into. And three seasons later, he had him win in 10 games and everybody bought in. I said, Oh, and seven earlier. I'm pretty sure it was only Oh, and five. Cause they had, you know, it was COVID. They had some games canceled, but uh, 70 to seven should count for an extra two losses, <laughs> frankly, especially to your rival. <laughs> Uh, should we should we get to our our lovely friend of our program here? Yes, absolutely. Time for a conversation with Ian McFarland, who we find him. He's not actually on the road, but he's close. On Monday, late in darkness, I was driving a rental car through middle of nowhere, New Hampshire, with uh, a Canadian sitting shotgun. Neither of us had eaten dinner, and he's always up for American fast food because he doesn't get all of it in Canada. And so 
um, we pull off on an off ramp and we had a habit burger, which, you know, being from California, I, um, I can firmly say that habit is better than in and out, not as fresh, but better. Um, so he enjoyed the habit burger. He'd never had one. And then he told me we need to go across the street and get a dozen Dunkin' Donuts. Keep in mind, it's 10 p.m. And this is one of the most fit people you've ever seen. He buys the 12 Dunkin' Donuts, asks me if I want half of them. I say I want none of them. And he proceeds to eat all 12 as we continue on our journey. And at some point he said, this is the most American experience of my life. I'm on a road trip and I stopped for a fast food burger and then I just gorged myself on donuts. And I started thinking through the University of Washington lens. And I thought, what would be the off-ramp that is most emblematic of the UW experience as a fan? I am kidding. Please don't do that. It's deep in the off-season. Now that there is a defensive coordinator in place, we are as far away from me having any level of cogent question. I will do my best, but I am sleep deprived on East Coast time, and I've got nothing good for you this week. Hope you guys have a great week. Go dogs. <laughs> do, do Canadians not take road trips? I would assume they do. It's a big ass country. You got it, right? Don't... I didn't realize that was a uniquely American experience. Maybe that just proves my my ignorance. I think it was the variety of fast food. That... Well, yeah, I, I mean that was the that was the headline. I I know you're um, you had to be grimacing during the 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 in and out slander. So I've never had a habit burger. So maybe I, I I feel like I'm unqualified, but I am defensive of the the slander that in and out catches like. I don't understand why so many people think it's terrible when I it's, think it's, it's an upper tier hamburger. It's because so many people think it's great. That's the only reason. Yeah. That's the, that's the only reason it gets criticized. And it, like, I love in and out. Um, I am not going to like sit here and like stand on a table and defend it. If you don't like it, that's fine. It's a hamburger. Like, I, 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 I feel the same way. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm trying to fight on less things. Okay. I feel, I feel the same way. Uh, I, but I will say like, I've had habit burger. There's a habit burger in Tacoma. Um, I actually eat there fairly regularly. I enjoy it quite a bit. I think habit burger is, is good. I don't think it's as good as in and out though. Like I, if there were an in and out in town, I'd go to in and out every time over, over habit burger. Um, decent milkshakes though. And like the burgers, the burgers good. They have a chicken sandwich, uh, that's pretty competitive, you know, that competes at a high level. Um, <laughs> It would belong in the power four. <laughs> um, this, this probably reflects like where I'm getting in terms of how I have to watch what I eat. Um, but I'm I'm really losing my 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 ranking, my pecking order. I've I've aged out of many fast food discussions because I think I can count on one hand the number of times I've eaten Chick Fil A. I've never eaten at Raising Cane's. 
I've never eaten at Habit Burger. Like there's this whole wave of things that are happening where I realize that I'm just I'm I I've aged out. I'm I'm an old man. I'm turning 50 later this year and I just don't have the I'm not the depository of of reference points. I've I've I've, I've aged out of it. Yeah, I mean good for you. First of all, no, That's, I don't uh, know if it's good for me or not, but I, this is something I used to pride myself on. Like I would have passionate takes on how you could not patronize the hybrid KFC Taco Bell Pizza Hut. Like you can't, you, that, that's an, it's an abomination that should be never patronized. You can like still you have, have no, the takes. You don't need to be, what, <laughs> what is this 2024, man? You don't need to be directly informed. You can still have the opinions. You should I, just, that should be your new thing. Just decide uh, that you have a strong opinion about some restaurant you've never been to and never, never planned to go to. to. Yeah. What was it? I've never eaten anything hot from a Dairy Queen. I, I've gone. I love Dairy Queen. In fact, like one of my criticisms of America is that there aren't or the Seattle area is that there aren't enough Dairy Queens around there. I've never eaten anything hot from a Dairy Queen ever. And I, I, I feel relatively confident at this point. I'm going to go to my grave that having been true. Um, But Habit Burger, I'm like, ah, I don't know. I've ne- Since I've moved out here, I've been in New York for more than four years now, have not eaten a Dunkin Donut. They're everywhere out here too, but that might be some of my own like bias or prejudice against, cause I think it's, if you're going to eat a donut, eat a good donut. Those aren't even good donuts. Yeah. I, I have real, no, no real opinion of Duncan. Their coffee's um, ass too. Coffee's absolute trash. It's garbage water. Like that's, it's not coffee. It's garbage water. When it comes to donuts, I'm preferable to Pow's um, because it's basically in our backyard mm-hmm. on 6th Avenue in Tacoma. Um, familiar with Pow's. Pow's is a donut worth driving for. Yeah, and I don't even have to drive for it. So how about that? That's basically the only reason I keep cash on me anymore is because they're cash only. Dix is Dix. Dix takes uh, takes credit card now. I almost does feel, it really. Yeah, and I feel, kind of feels wrong pulling out the credit card to pay for it. Sometimes I pay cash just to feel like I'm, you know, still back in 2006 or whatever. Do you have a D- Dix order? Yeah, usually go uh, deluxe and two cheeseburgers. Oh, see, I go deluxe cheese fry. Um, and Never then, been big on their fries. Yeah, their fries are it's a it's an acquired taste. It's a greasier fry for sure. Um, I've I've always liked it. And the one at the Lower Queen Anne, I'm not sure if they've all had it. Used to sell ice cream, like you could get scoops of ice cream, except they weren't really scoops. They were, I think, they were like delivered with a gun. Uh, <laughs> like the. Like, I don't think it was a scoop mechanism that they used for the ice cream, or maybe I'm thinking of Thrifty, the old California, uh, the, the old California chain. If you get blank slate, like geography is not, you get your choice. Number one draft pick for road trip fast food stop. Where are you going? Yeah, I, I got to go in and out. Really? I got to go in and out. And, and well... It's sort of maybe it depends a little on the portion of the road trip. Um, if it's the middle of the night, Dick's probably sits a little bit better. In and outs also I feel like it's maybe a little messy to eat in the car, so mm-hmm. that's a that's a factor. Um, but overall, I mean, best player available, we're taking in and out. Like that's, and I I do think it's a little silly. Um, obviously, a lot of uh, a lot of students from California attend the University of Washington. And so it was a, a common debate. I remember like freshman year, Dick's versus in and out And I'm just like, well, they're two completely different burgers. It's a different, it's a different yeah. experience. Yeah. They're different sports. Like that's not a, that's, that's not a, you can't, they're, they're not, they're not, there's not a heads up competition there. I think I'm going Taco Bell. Oh, oh so we're expanding to all fast. Okay. Yeah. 
I, 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 uh, if you pulled us into Taco Bell, I'm never going to argue. I mean, <laughs> if it's across the street from In-N-Out, I might I miss, and not all of them have it now. You still can have vacation. The Mexican pizza is is a fantastic i think is a is a fantastic menu item uh it's tricky it's it's not the easiest thing to eat taco bell while you're driving but i believe that that's where a lifetime of training comes into effect and what i may have lost (laughs) given my uh age and the fact that i'm not familiar with some of the things that these young whippersnappers eat uh the ability to apply fire sauce to a classic crunchy taco and eat it by manipulating the position of your head while driving is is one of the one of the 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 old tricks that i think that i've i've honed over time um double decker taco also a fantastic uh road trip food item because of the little extra sustenance you get from the two types of the soft tortilla the refried bean and then the crunchy taco see i um i like to get the chicken quesadilla with extra sauce the extra jalapeno sauce good one too very difficult to eat in the car. I wouldn't even want to try. Um, unless we're stationary in a parking lot and I've like covered myself in napkins. Um, the, uh, the, the, the weird, like, uh, there's the Dorito Locos taco and then there's like a spicy burrito that's got chips and stuff in it. I'm a sucker for those. I like really. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why I lump those in the hybrid sort of like, I don't want my Taco Bell tainted by your, your corporate synergy. (laughs) You keep your Doritos taco, taco shell the hell away from me. And every now and then I just, I got to get the Baja blast. I don't drink a ton of soda anymore, but there's times where I'm just like, you're a Taco Bell. You've already just, just go all in, man. Like we're, you know, it's fourth down. You decided to go for it. Let's call the, let's call the gutsiest play in the book. There was, this was, I've had this argument previously where people will try to compare taco time. I'm like, taco time is not fast food. Taco, taco time is closer to fine dining than it is to fast food. <laughs> well, the prices are. <laughs> like, taco time is not fast food. That's not even the same discussion. I did it's not uh, even the same discussion. When I was doing um, the uh, UW football pre-game show with KJR doing a regular segment for them a few years ago. I got paid in Taco Time gift cards, so I had just like hundreds of dollars of Taco Time loaded on my phone for for quite a while. I didn't go there often enough to like spend it fast, but every now and then I'd be like, "All right, I can get free Taco Time whenever I want." So that was uh it's almost it's it's down into like the 30s, so I've got like one meal left. But uh are you saving it? No. No, just haven't just for haven't what? used it yet. For one particular moment when you're like, ah, oh, I just, I, this is it. This is the, the deliciousness of my last, my last free taco time. You hear the call taco time. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to take a week off next week. Um, are you going on vacation? I am headed Good. to, uh, headed to Palm Springs, Indian yeah. Wells, Indian Wells, more specifically, uh, visit some family, take Ruby on an airplane for the first time. That should be fun. Hopefully it'll be fun. It might not be fun. It might be the opposite of fun. You never know. She's three years old. It could go either way. Just um, know that every person on that plane, every person on that plane is going to be supportive of you no matter what you're going through. Oh, we will experience maximum empathy. I have no concerns about that. Um, Unless you get with this guy. We won't talk to you next week, but we will talk to you again. Enjoy February. Oh, no, no, no. I ran through that bull junk you wrote, I ran through that. I sifted through all that. 
Yeah. 